Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter, Danny Parisi. And this week, I'm joined by our London-based fashion reporter, Zofia Zviglinska. How are you, Zofia? I'm very good, thank you. How's my pronunciation? Yeah, it's good. No, it's absolutely fine. I mean, it's been a few times now, so I think that, you know, you're getting into the practice. It's fun to say. It's a, You've got a great name. It's The alliteration is oh. really, it's very, <laughs> like, aesthetically appealing. Um Sophia is in London, and we are definitely going to be talking about the the UK heat wave and how it's impacting the people in the UK, but also the fashion industry. Um, we'll also talk about a new sustainability initiative from Zalando, Uke's net porte and About You, three kind of unrelated online retailers who kind of got together for this um, sustainability thing. And then finally, we will talk about some news in the world of augmented reality from both Google and Snap. Um, Sophia, again, bringing her UK expertise because there was a big Snap event in, is it in London or was it just in the UK? No, so it was in London. It was in London okay. last week. Okay, great. So we will talk about that last. Um, but to start, Sophia, you just were mentioning before the beginning of the recording, it's a little bit cooler today, but the last week has been like pretty uh, unprecedented in, in the UK. I mean, I think it's like, from what I saw, basically the hottest it's ever been as far as we know. Um, how, how, how have you been personally? And then what have you seen just, you know, around? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's not been easy. I do think that the UK is not built to to handle these kind of temperatures. So working, you know, going getting around and all of that has been very, very difficult. It's not like, you know, countries like the US or Japan where this kind of heat is standard and everyone is equipped with AC and that's just the default in the summer. So yeah, for the last week, it's been above, you know, 35 to 40, um, 40 as the high being the highest temperature here, um, which I, again, don't know how much it would be in Fahrenheit, but it would be very, very hot. I think it's above 104.5 Fahrenheit. Yeah, I was going to say we will probably stumble over the Fahrenheit to Celsius calculations, but I'm pretty sure 40 degrees Celsius is like well over 100 Fahrenheit. So for the American listeners, that is extremely, extremely hot. Um, and yeah, like you said, I mean, the UK is just, it's very not built for something like this. There are plenty of places in the world where it routinely gets over 100, but their their infrastructure is built for it. The architecture even is, is built for it. Um, and the UK just isn't. So um, I know that's something that like I've noticed being in, um, I've actually never been to the UK, but other parts of Europe, like the AC is so puny and like uh, weak compared to the big honking American air conditioning units that just like, <laughs> you know, they crank it up so high and like blast that shit. But um, so yeah. anyway, it's, uh, so I, I've seen a lot of articles from like British GQ or something that's like, like six style essentials for the heat wave. And it's like telling people like, you should wear shorts instead of pants or whatever. And it's like, it's just funny that that's such a, I mean, I think that's an obvious one, but there's a lot of things that I think people in the UK just if you are not used to. And, and there's a lot of, you know, a yeah. lot of advice and stuff going around like that, like in, in the fashion space, how to dress and how to prepare. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've seen, you know, influencers on TikTok showing that they you know, traveled across the world and didn't bring more than anything, more than jeans for, for their UK trips and then being stuck here. Um, and then the same thing from, you know, style websites saying like, yeah, I just wear linen and, you know, something light, something breezy. <laughs> it's not so um, obscure as, you know, the most uh, common 
advice given out, which is that you carry around a bag of frozen peas. Um, but everything everything in that respect is is very kind of new. I think a lot of people are starting to see that it's going to be a much bigger issue and they're going to have to actually give, you know, style advice or, you know, general advice that's going to be more pertinent to people staying indoors and, you know, focusing on indoor shopping uh, with AC. Um, and it has affected the the fashion industry as well with, you know, foot traffic has been down quite a bit. I think it's been, it was 7.3 week on week and then 18.1 on the springboards back to office benchmark. Um, on the other hand, in coastal towns, it's surged because obviously every time that there's a heat wave, everyone goes down to the seaside. So maybe uh, yes. you know, in that respect for the future, um, maybe fashion brands will move to the seaside as we see, you know, destination shopping become a thing. Why not open up a boutique in Margate? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I, I also saw that a lot of in, in London, particularly a lot of boutiques just closed for for two or three days because it just was like too hot inside. And, and like we said, they didn't have the air conditioning or like the, you know, whatever infrastructure they needed and they didn't want their employees like passing out or something. Um, so I know some some businesses like lost a couple of days worth of business because it just was like too hot. Um, and obviously, Obviously, like the UK is not going to be like permanently 100 degrees. Um, like you said, it's already back down to like the 20s Celsius, which I think is like 70s, maybe Fahrenheit. Um, but I do think it's one of those things that like this is going to stick in people's minds for a long time. And I do wonder like what sort of long term impact it might have on how people in the UK shop. Like are, are people like, going to be adding things to their wardrobe um, that they maybe have never had indeed to have before like you said the linen shirts and stuff like you can probably you know in previous years get away with living in london and not even own you know a pair of shorts or something but now it's like <laughs> yeah i mean i think i think maybe like holiday wear becoming city wear will might become more of a thing because brits are very experienced in traveling abroad and you know going to spain and other places where that's hot so i think maybe transitioning that wardrobe into you know a city environment for the workspace that might be a bit of an issue um but i think you know from from the retailer side i think that's the bit which is going to be more important um just seeing how businesses are able to handle their you know employees during times like this you know retailers are notoriously slow to react these, to these kind of situations whether that's you know changes in staff numbers or you know like as i said like climate um and this is you know, one of the things that has been going around this week is that this is going to be the coldest summer of the rest of our lives. So the idea of, you know, this being the the lowest it's ever going to get is probably something that retailers will also have to plan for in the future, whether that's store design, um, you know, the delivery and how they're handling, you know, delivery drivers in the heat as well. Um, and then, you know, just what kind of products they're offering, maybe they will have to change their assortment. Yeah, absolutely. And you raise a good point, which is just that this is not necessarily a one-off thing. And, uh, you know, it's like, like you said, it's not necessarily going to get any colder. Like some summers will be hotter than others, I'm sure. But like, it's very obvious that we're generally trending towards just like a hotter entire planet. Um, and I think it's important to note that like, I feel like in past years, there's been a lot of talk about like climate change and stuff as something to plan for in the future, something that could start to impact us or will start to impact us if we don't like, you know, change our emissions and stuff. But it's we're firmly in the the 
stage of it is happening. Like there are, the impacts are not like on their way. They are here right now. Like the, like places that don't experience this kind of heat are now experiencing this kind of heat. Um, you know, the, these things are happening now. So I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, I mean, and like the UK I think is fairly good on, on emissions compared to like the U S or some other places. But I, I do hope that things like this kind of like, you know, shock some people into more action um, when they realize this is not some hypothetical impact that might happen in the future, but something that is literally happening right now. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, if there are going to be more situations like the fires that erupted over this last week in London, you know, again, how are you supposed to kind of plan for that? What kind of mitigation aspects is is the UK going to have to consider? And, you know, as as a unit as well, you know, Europe, how how is that going to affect business in general and people's lives? Yeah, maybe we'll see another British GQ article that's like six style essentials when you are on fire. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's move on. Um, this is actually a good segue, though, because we were also going to talk about sustainability, um, which I know is something that, Sophia, you have a lot of interest in and, and you've written a lot about. Um, so some news this week, three kind of unrelated online fashion retailers, which is Ukes, Net-A-Porter, Zalando, and About You um, came together. I think this was on Wednesday um, and uh, launched this sustainability initiative uh, with a company called Qantas. It's basically a free service for all the brands that those three retailers stock that will help them measure their greenhouse gas emissions, set reduction targets, and then submit those to the science-based targets initiative, which is part of the UN. Um, the thing that interests that's interesting about this to me, and also I should note that this is just in the pilot stage now, and I think it's going to fully launch next year. The thing that's interesting about this to me is that uh, I feel like we will see and we should see more kind of like cooperation between like competitors or, or between unaffiliated brands and, and retailers and stuff in the fashion space to do things like this, because it's like, it's just not a, uh, and by it, I mean, you know, solving, you know, lowering emissions and solving for climate change and stuff is like not something we can just hope everybody individually kind of figures out on their own. Like it's something that does require cooperation. So it's it's good to see that sort of like, you know, going across company lines and working with the competitors to, to make a tool that's kind of usable by everybody. Um, I was wondering your thoughts, Sophia, since you've kind of written about this stuff a lot. Um, do you feel like we're going to see more of that kind of cooperation and and like interbrand or even intercontinental or international cooperation between, you know, fashion entities? Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, there's been a number of consortiums, um, kind of groupings in, in the last couple of years where, you know, either big brands um, or companies have come together to set emissions targets to try and, um, you know, lower um, their overproduction perhaps or, you know, increasing biodiversity in areas where they're particularly active. Um, but I think this year especially, it's been something that is specifically focused across competitors. You know, I've talked to um, Adidas last week, I think, or the week before, um, about, you know, what they're doing right now and how they're working with competitors. And even they mentioned, you know, their collaboration with Allbirds and how they're working with competitors as a way to to basically help um, reduce their impact, focus that and to take stock of what their production is doing to, to affect 
um, you know, climate change. And I think it's the same for companies that I've heard talk at, at Copenhagen at the um, Global Fashion Summit, which is the kind of most international um, circular fashion summit in the world. I think a lot of them were talking about positive um, competition, so outdoing each other on on climate goals um, across brands, uh, and the same thing again, so collaboration across all industries, working with, you know, not just brands, but also tech partners, you know, sustainability partners, making sure that you're working with the experts that are doing the work already, um, and kind of leading you into, you know, what you should be doing. I think it's just getting a lot more serious now that a lot of regulation is coming. And I think that brands are seeing that, you know, they can't be paying that kind of lip service to it anymore. It has to be something that they're taking a lot of interest in um, and a lot of kind of active updates. You know, that's why the the Ukes Zalando initiative does seem like a continuation of that. And again, a very big kind of consortium of brands, European brands. So I think it's going to be impactful. And Zalando does a lot of things already in the circular fashion space, but I think this is just adding to that, expanding their reach and showing that they can do more to to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And and you mentioned Allbirds. Um, I feel like they, to me, are a good example of a brand that's very open to that kind of cross-brand collaboration. Um, I remember talking to their head of sustainability, I believe her name is Hannah Kajimura, um, was telling me that, uh, you know, they Alberts puts their carbon footprint, like, number on every piece of, like, every shoe that they sell. But they've put all of that methodology and all the tools they use to calculate that stuff online for free, like for anybody to use. And and I remember her telling me that that was just, that was an important thing for them was to not make this be some sort of proprietary like edge that they have over competition, but like something they want everybody to use, you know? So I, I anyway, I think you're right that there, that kind of collaboration I think is, is really important. And um, especially in the EU, I feel like it's, it's a lot more common with European brands and companies and stuff. And like, I know there, there are similar initiatives in the U S but, um, I don't know. I, I feel like often I, I, f- I feel like the U S fashion industry and just the U S in general is like very much behind a lot of other places. So hopefully yeah. we can take some inspiration there. <laughs> yeah. I do think that sustainability isn't quite on the same level, um, in the U S as it is in the EU. I'm not sure if it's just the um, the kind of proximity to to what is going on, you know, within countries as well and how involved, you know, the European Parliament is with that, um, which is affecting those targets because obviously they're leading a lot of the um, regulation that's going to be affecting European brands with, you know, some of the biggest fashion houses based in, um, in France or in Italy, which are going to be affected by those. Um, so it might just be that that is, you know, going to lead the industry into a better um, a better kind of system. Um, but I do think what you said before about you know open source access to to data is just a trend that will just keep growing. Um, I've spoken to like a number of companies you know in the last few months who are focused on bringing any kind of open source around sustainability to light, whether that is you know talking about biodiversity and increasing um, you know rainforest seeding, which is a lot of what companies are involved with right now to to make sure that they're not kind of contributing to that. And I think a lot of that is linked to the fact that they know that, you know, they're only one company, they can't do so much. So putting that out as an open source just means that other people would be able to add to it. 
um, you know, learn from it and grow what is supposed to be, you know, an industry-wide initiative. Let's talk about uh, AR. Um, so, Zofia, you recently were at a, uh, a Snap UK event in which they talked a lot about augmented reality. Is that right? Can you give us a little report? Yeah, of course. Um, so it was the first UK media event from Snap. Obviously, Snaps have done quite a lot of things in the US, but they've been expanding a little bit more. They did an activation at Cannes um, and at the Cannes Lions event um, with British Vogue. And now they're kind of focusing on bringing that AR aspect to the UK market. They're involved in a Tiffany exhibition over here um, with like a lot of diamond involved AR activations. But the Snap event specifically was talking about, you know, what kind of hardware and technology are they offering right now? And, you know, possibly also where that space is going to look um, like in a couple of years. So the main things that they were exhibiting were the Snap kind of retail mirror where you can try on digital garments, which basically, you know, you walk in front of the screen. Um, it shows you, you know, the kind of camera um, of yourself, and then you can try on digital garments with a swipe of your hand, which is really cool. Um, you know, there were some bigger brands there. I think they had some Prada bags that you could try on virtually in a number of colors. Um, and then you also had some dual ones, um, and I think some items from DressX as well, which is a, a digital fashion retailer. So you could try on both physical um, and digital items in, you know, in AR which is very cool because the body tracking thing that they've got going has gotten a lot better. Um, I do think a lot of brands are involved in that right now. So it seems like something that, you know, it just means that most of the try-on things that you would usually do, you know, in a fitting room can now be done in like the comfort of your own home or, you know, just without actually trying it on. Um, and it's easy, easier to see color options. So they had the same thing for, for makeup and for beauty. But for me, the most interesting aspect were obviously the AR specs, um, the glasses, which are something that they've been working on for a long time and they've had a number of iterations. And their latest one is actually focused on bringing that kind of augmented reality experience to life. So rather than, you know, just snapping your environment, um, you can actually see a whole augmented reality scene set up in front of you through these glasses. Mm. Um, which is really cool. Yeah, actually, before the before the recording, I was reading about the Snap Spectacles, um, which mm. I think was the previous kind of iteration of their their glasses. And it, I think that dropped in 2016 was the first version, and then I think they made two kind of newer iterations of it. And from everything I saw, it like, doesn't seem like that really took off super well for them. Um, uh, uh, just from the Wikipedia page, it says that they sold, like, you know, a couple hundred thousand out of like 40 million that they manufactured. So I think it was a little bit of a, a bummer for them. And, but it, it felt like it was too early because it was all, like you said, all it did was just take pictures. It was like just a pair of glasses with a camera on it that you could take pictures and then it would show up on your phone. And it was like, I could just pull my phone out of my pocket and take the picture. Like it's, it, <laughs> it didn't feel like it was super necessary or groundbreaking. But mm. the the advances in AR and being able to like see things through the glasses, it feels to me like a much better use of that kind of idea. Um, and and r relatedly, like the other news this week was that's related to this was that Google is also going to start publicly testing AR glasses again. Um, you know, almost ten years after they tried it with Google Glass, which did not really 
take off either. Um, something about something about the glasses just does not seem to work for a lot of people. But I, I do wonder if now with like the immense advances in AR um, recently, if that's gonna if that's gonna change, if people are more open to it. Um, I know that the if even if, even if you compare like the AR stuff that Snap was doing like four or five years ago to what a lot of different AR companies can do now, like the technology has advanced a lot. The newer generations of iPhones have like LiDAR, um, which is that, I forget what it stands for, but it, it's it's a new sort of way of like 3D scanning. And that has like exponentially improved the um, resolution and accuracy of, of virtual try-on stuff. It's like, if you go to, if you do a virtual try-on of like a pair of shoes or something now compared to like five years ago, it's insane. Like that, that technology really has gotten a lot better. Um, so yeah, now, maybe now is the time to bring back Google Glass and Snap Spectacles and, and see if this time it works. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the applications for this are going to be really interesting. So it's not just, you know, it's kind of like an, a Google or I guess like an AR glasses arms race at this point. We've got, you know, Google, you've got Snap, but you've also got Apple who are, you know, typically the ones who lead those kind of technologies. And they've been rumored to announce an AR glass in 2024. Um, so obviously it's still very early days and Snaps were the same that they're, latest iteration, the AR glasses are not going to be kind of ready for the consumer market yet. It is still going to take a number of years. But I think the way that they're testing that um, by doing all of these creative brand activations is really showing brands, you know, what they can be doing with this technology. Um, And I've spoken to a number of people previously who also, you know, use it in their production. So it's not just about, you know, consumer facing items and marketing. It's also about, you know, what they could be doing for for stores or for distribution, how that could help, you know, people in stock rooms look for stock. Like essentially it's not just about, you know, the the kind of creative aspect, but also what it could do for for the retail industry at large. I think it is still going to take some time. It's not quite perfect yet. But it is really exciting and with augmented reality kind of being quite difficult at the moment, I guess, with a phone. I think the limited vision aspect of it, the fact that you have to move your phone around um, does pose to be a little bit of a problem. I think with, um, you know, with augmented reality uh, glasses, that is not going to be as big of an issue because you're able to look around your environment naturally. I think it might just make it a lot easier to integrate and with everything going on and, you know, gaming, metaverse, AR seems like the logical next step. Yeah, and I mean, the the one factor I think they still have to figure out and, and what Google Glass struggled with was like the goofy factor. Like it just looked <laughs> kind of silly, you know, like Google Glass like looked kind of silly. And then you had to like, if I remember correctly, you had to like talk to get it to do stuff. So you'd like be putting on your glasses and be like, enhance. And you just like looked like a nerd. It's really <laughs> was, I think that was part of the reason it was not, it didn't take off. So if they can sort of, remove some of that like kind of embarrassment from using those kinds of things, I feel like that will go a long way too. Um, Yeah, definitely. Look, I mean, I think if Apple are able to pull out some really cool looking glasses, it's going to be a game changer for the rest of the industry. I'm not sure if Google or Snap will be able to get there first or be able to kind of approach that mass consumer market in the same way, because I think that a lot more people just trust Apple to bring that kind of stuff out. 
Um, but they've also been working with a lot of brands as well. And I think you could probably see, you know, iterations of Google Glasses being designed by, you know, some of their partners, like um, I think they've partnered with Hermes um, or many or Nike, perhaps. So you could potentially also have, you know, a whole new product sector for, for brands as well, looking to get into AR. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's let's call it there. Sophia, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad to hear that it has rained in the UK and it's back <laughs> to its normal rainy self. Yeah, um, um, who would have thought that that's what you'd be looking out for? But I think every Brit probably secretly hopes that, you know, it's going to rain at some point. Yeah, right, let's get back to foggy, misty, cold, miserable London. That's, that's much more preferable <laughs> at the moment. For those of you listening, if you have not given us a rating and a review on whatever podcast app you're using to listen to this, please do that. It helps us out so much. Um, and also, you should subscribe to the Glossy Podcast because you can hear me every Friday talking with usually Jill, sometimes Sophia, um, sometimes others uh, doing the week in review. And then every Wednesday, Jill interviews some fascinating industry insider for the Glossy Podcast. Once again, thank you, Sophia, so much for being here. And thank you all for listening. <laughs>